before we have Pastor Ed come up and share a message. Um, no more masks. <laughs> Some are still wearing, and the CDC guidelines are if you've been fully vaccinated, fully vaccinated, you don't need to wear it anymore, so we're adhering to that. So if you've been fully vaccinated, feel free to come comfortably without your mask and, and feel liberated. So good feeling. Um, a few things. Love in action. Ike shared this uh, with us last week, and um, we should have a slide there. Dell sent me a, an email a little while back and uh, explaining it, and I thought, well, well, it just explains it, so I'm just going to read part of it. Love in Action has been wonderfully responded to. This is a new ministry of serving, caring, and showing the love of Jesus to those in our church family and friends who need his touch. Many of you already pray for and take care of others, but this ministry helps more of us know the needs and gives opportunities to serve. Needs may include encouragement, errands, transportation, and meals. And if you're interested in this new ministry and want to be part of it, please contact Dell. That's her email address right there. If you know of those who need something our ministry can perhaps fulfill, please contact us as well. Great ministry. Just wanted to highlight that. Take advantage of that. 
write down Dell's uh, email and uh, send her a note. His kids, next week, we're going to learn how to memorize the books of the Bible. We're going to have it demonstrated by people this size. And um, it'll make me feel sheepish because I can't do that anymore, but I'm sure going to admire them. Uh, so you're going to want to miss that next week. And that is going to set up the event that happens next Sunday, 4 to 6 p.m. Uh, we have to say goodbye to Mario and Deborah and their beautiful family. They're relocating back to the San Antonio area near family. So we're going to miss them tremendously, but we're going to honor them with a bye-bye barbecue. And that's next week, uh, 4 to 6.30 p.m. Uh, Michelle sent me some notes here. Um, let's see. You want to sign up today? The sign-up uh, sheets are out there. We want to make sure we get the food amount right. Still need quite a few volunteers to help with the event. Uh, there's a short volunteer meeting after the second service today, about 12.20 upstairs. If you can't make it, that's okay. Still sign up. Leave your contact info. Uh, Michelle and her team will reach out to you this week. Um, and then good cooks, we still need help with the side dishes, so if you could check out the sign-up sheet out in the, uh, in the lobby, we'll, uh, we'll honor Mario and Deborah and their family next week. Uh, what else do we have? June 5th, worship night. How many were at the night of worship this last time? We had about a week or two ago. We're going to start having those uh, more regularly, and we're just going to do deep dives into worship. So June 5th. Um, it's actually a Saturday night this time, so you'll want to put that on your calendar. Come for that. Uh, we'll have more information as we go. And then I Am They, great concert uh, group that uh, actually originated out of Carson City, uh, many of the band members. And they tour all around the country and outside the country. Well, we've got them July 17th at uh, 7 p.m. So there is information on the church website, cornerstonecommunity.net. Go there. Um, you can sign up there, get your tickets there. That's going to be a great event. I feel like there's something else, but I didn't write it down, so that's my, my fault. But I think I got the main thing, so let's just keep moving. Pastor Ed from Crossroads Church in Santa Clarita. He was with us last week. He's with us this week. Their families enjoyed um, a week at, around the lake, and so it's been a great time for them, great time for us. So, Ed, come bring the word. Thank you for coming. Appreciate it. Thank you. Hey, everybody, hey, take your Bibles out and turn to the book of Romans, uh, chapter 10. Uh, really do appreciate so much of uh, that, that uh, incline hospitality I've heard so much about uh, down in Southern California. Uh, it's been so great to be with you guys. Uh, great this morning. Um, getting to meet Bill over here. Met Joe last week. Just so, so many good people here in this church. Tony's a lucky guy. Uh, make sure you remind him when he gets back. You're a lucky man, remember, Tony. Uh, uh, Romans 10 is where we're going to be, and uh, I, I, I'm going to start off here uh, asking a little bit of a question. Do, do you like things your own way? <laughs> I mean, I, just, I started thinking about this this week, and I'm like, I think I'm really individualistic. I, I just started kind of keeping track a little bit of, of who I am as, as, as an American, maybe as a, as a title. I, I, I realized pretty quickly, I come from a long line of individualists, self-sufficient individualists, don't touch my stuff, don't touch my people, don't touch my power, like I, I just, I like things my way, I want to go into Burger King, have it my way, right, I, I, I come from, from a long line of, and I just made a list, pilgrims turn discoverers, turn settlers, colonists turn revolutionaries, turn rebels, Creators turn frontiersmen and pioneer women. Soldiers turn adventurers, turn modernizers, turn go-getters, 
trendsetters, turned innovators, turned this, what is this world we live in? This always online, streaming, unlimited data, on demand, no contract, custom made to order, individualistic, self-sufficient society. <gasps> That's us, isn't it? I love having my individualism. I love having things my way, don't you? But here's the thing. Spiritually speaking, that sort of individualistic self-sufficiency will absolutely kill you. And it'll damn you to hell. What we're going to talk about today, again, like we did last week, uh, is the gospel. We're going to talk about uh, uh, carrying on from last week uh, this remedy to right the wrongness. Last week was uh, focused on the reasons for a wrong righteousness, uh, focusing on uh, the nation of Israel. Man, we need to be praying for the nation of Israel. I'll talk more about that uh, at the end of the sermon, but uh, we need to be praying for, for that remnant to begin to show itself, a large-scale revival coming, as we'll study uh, in, in Romans 11 with Pastor Tony. Uh, but I, I want you to think about this idea of self-sufficiency because it can so quickly bite us in the behind, can it? I've got it, I've got it, I've got it, and then I don't have it at all. Uh, I'm going to take you through just a, a typical Monday night in my family. What we do is we sit down, we have a dinner. My wonderful wife makes a great dinner. We eat it. We have a little Devo Bible study. And then what we do is we go to the TV, we go to this thing called YouTube, and we type in fails fail videos. One of my favorite ones is the weightlifting fails. Have you seen these? This happened to two friends of mine growing up where they, they, they think they have it. They actually set a camera up, so I mean, because they, they think that they're so strong, and they're probably like on a bench. This happened to a friend of mine. He's, he's, he's benching weight, and he doesn't have a spotter. He doesn't have anybody watching him. This happened to a friend of mine. His mom said, you shouldn't be lifting by yourself in the basement. You could get hurt. Well, that very day, he went downstairs and he's, eats, eats, I got it, I got it, I got it, I'm individualistic, I'm self-sufficient, this, this weight is very light, and then all of a sudden, in some moment, he didn't got it anymore. And the weight came down, and the only person home he knew was his mom. So there he is, this individualistic, self-sufficient person, screaming from the basement for his mommy, help, help. He had to roll the bar down his body, ouchie, 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 all the way down his lap, ouchie, and then threw it off the ground, onto the ground. Individualism can hurt you. Self-sufficiency can hurt you. We're going to look here, Romans 10, picking up from last week, starting in verse 8, Paul says, what does it say? What does this word of faith say? He quotes Deuteronomy 30. Uh, verse 14, it says, the word is near you. The, the word of faith, all that the Old Testament had pointed to, every feast, every prophet, every, every, every everything is pointing to this word of faith. The word is near you. It's in your mouth and it's in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Verse 9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. That is good news. Amen? There is saving for the sinner. There's redemption for the lost. 
How do you make right a wrong? There's going to be four points to the message. This is the remedy to right the wrongness. Number one comes from verse 9. You confess with your mouth. Paul takes Deuteronomy 30 because his Jewish friends knew Deuteronomy 30, verse 14. He, they knew, he knew that they knew that this word of faith starts with your mouth and goes through your heart. So he takes that as the process. Linearly thinking through. Okay, let's start with the mouth. Speaking of the mouth, Paul's been speaking about a false righteousness. He's been speaking on trying to be saved by yourself for yourself. Self-sufficiency. I've got it, I've got it, I've got it. Which is impossible to fulfill like we saw last week. Speaking of the mouth, Paul first specifies uh, uh, Jesus confessing as Lord versus knowing Jesus as fact. Do you know anybody who knows Jesus' fact. James 2, verse 19, James speaks to the monotheist, to the Jews. He says, you believe God is one, and you do will. Good, good job. But also the demons believe, and they shudder. In a purely factual sense, we learn from the Bible that demons are orthodox in theology. They are confirmed creationists. They have observed God's work. They have witnessed God's nature. Someone can hold orthodoxy at theology. They can lead a moral life. They can acknowledge sin. They can desire eternal life. They can be religious. And if they never bend the knee, if they never accept the gospel, they will go to hell. It's a terrifying thought. It causes me to check myself and my motives, my story, God's plan for me that I'm putting all of my eggs in that basket. Paul says that someone needs to repent. Someone needs to confess. That word confess in the original language is homologeho. To say the same thing as someone, to agree with someone, to say the same word. It's like when you're speaking with someone and they finish your sentence. Jinx, buy me a Coke, right? You you get caught saying the same thing. This is confession. Lord, I'm saying what you already know about me, which is that I am a sinner. This is the premise of every apology you've ever offered. Making right a wrong. I was wrong. Let's be right Married men, that's a gift, isn't it? To offer that apology and then be right with your wife because you were so wrong. It says in verse 9 to uh, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. That word Lord is a fun word. I like that word. You know, Scripture never separates Christ's lordship from his saviorhood. That word Lord has a definition behind it. He to whom a person belongs and holds decision-making power for said person. God saves you by making him the Lord of your life. What's funny about verses 9 and 10 is this idea of confession, as we're going to look at. uh, Secondly, this idea of believing with your heart as we make right or wrong. Verse 9 says it first in in the order of Deuteronomy 30, confess with your mouth. 
believe with your heart, and then Paul flips it in verse 10. Uh, the reason why this is, is I, I, I feel it's kind of like it's, it's an all-in-one package. You can't have one without the other. It's like when you go on Amazon, you order two things and they come in one package. It's a package delivery. The confession of your mouth, Lord, I'm a sinner, and the belief in your heart that brought you to that point, it's a package deal. So Paul continues, verse 10, confess with your mouth, verse 9, that Jesus is your Lord and believe in your heart. He calls the shots. He holds decision-making power as Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. We'll talk about that word in a moment. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved and he's saved. See how that's flipped. Uh, the second idea, to believe with your heart, it's interesting to note that Paul, Paul says uh, uh, that God raised him from the dead. I think that's so interesting because uh, the resurrection was the final stamp of approval. God's, God's final provision of salvation has been laid out for everyone to see. And belief in that, belief in the, in the incarnation of Christ, in the resurrection of Christ, and in the ascension of Christ, the Jews didn't believe in those things. They didn't, they didn't believe that the Messiah Jesus was the one who would fulfill all of these promises. So belief is at the core of the Christ follower. What's interesting is if you start to take on this mentality that, that yeah, the incarnation wasn't that special. God didn't have to come down to be with us because we could easily get to him. Or the resurrection wasn't that special. God raising the son, Jesus Christ, I could have done something just as miraculous. Or the ascension to then ascend back into, I mean, I mean these, are, these are big to get those reversed it points back to last week, this idea that God won't be that mad and I'm not that bad. I must increase, he must decrease. What happened to the Jews with this lack of belief is kind of like, you know, we, we like to go to Dodger games. Oh, I love Dodger games. Is this, is this Giants country? Oh, oh, I knew something was wrong. We love going out there, and it's the $8 seats and the bleachers. You know, they did the big reno, so it's going to be so much more now, but usually $8. And you go there, and, and all these, oh, I could tell you stories, but you know the stories. Yeah, okay, okay. All right, okay, okay. I kind of had it coming. Anyway, uh, 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 the best is when they beat the Giants. And so there's all this. Um, anyway. <laughs> That championship, so, that was great. What a, what a great day. Uh, anyway, sorry, I'm getting so far ahead of myself. <laughs> so we, uh, 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 we, anyway, we go out there. What's the, what's, the, what's the best part of going to the game? The best part is the bobbleheads. The best part is the bobblehead. If you score a bobblehead day, of course, the ticket prices spike a little bit, but you score a bobblehead day, and it's just the best. Your kids are so happy. You're happy. It's going to go up in your office. This was a picture of the Jews. They, 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 they became bobbleheads. They had overly highlighted features. That's what a bobblehead is. A bobblehead takes your eyes, because you can do custom bobbleheads online. Did you know that? Maybe for a boss, maybe for a Pastor Tony. Um, they, they take the face and overly highlight the features. If a bobblehead were a real person, the bobblehead would be off balance. It'd be easy to fall. 
If it goes backwards, they're going to go backwards. If it goes forward, they're going to go forward. And this is a picture of the Jews. This is a picture of self-sufficiency. To, to know some things that have those features extra highlighted causes you to fall very easily, one side or the other. Paul says, with your heart. Hebrews believe that the heart was the core of personhood, the residence of the will, the thoughts, and the motives. Speaking of the heart, Paul, Paul is, 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 is maybe even drawing back to a passage like 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. Remember this? This is where David is chosen by Samuel. He goes to Jesse's home and, and, and the Lord says, Do not look at the appearance or stature of any of these boys, for the man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the what? The heart. Raise your hand if this is good news for you. This is good news for me because I'm not much to look at. I'm really not. I got issues. My body's falling apart. I gained so much weight over COVID. I'm so gray. I went gray overnight over COVID somehow. I don't even know how. My beard was never good, so I can't really talk much about that. Um, I'm just, I'm not that special of a guy to look at. I'm just not. What's so cool about God looking at my heart is God sees my successes and he calls them worship. And God looks at my failures, which I have a ton of, and he says those are covered. I love that God looks at my heart. I'm not connected. I'm not holding on to any other promises in this world other than the fact that God knows my heart. He knows who I've surrendered to. And he calls it good. In fact, he calls me justified. Speaking of justification here, as Paul does, this word justification is, 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 is to be made righteous before God. It's the state as, of, of one as he ought to be. To be made right. Uh, the Bible teaches an imputed righteousness for the Christ follower. Romans 4, 5 says, To the one who does not work for his salvation, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited to him as righteousness. This is God's plan for salvation. That is good news. That is good news. I heard this quote recently from a man I, I deeply respect. He said, there are decades where nothing happens. And then there are weeks where decades happen. That's 2020. That's how I went gray so fast. Studying the news for hours and days and weeks. What's happening? It was exciting, wasn't it? And we fought so hard to figure out what is true, didn't we? We, 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 have, we have news and we have news, and we have news, we have, we have self-proclaimed news, we have uh, CDC guidelines, which I think there's some clarity now. I think I'm not supposed to be wearing a mask, I think. We, we, have, we have rumors, we have science, and then we have science. We have truth, and then we have truth. I mean, isn't it so funny? how you really don't know what's true or who to believe anymore. And then you throw on top of that these deep fake videos that people can make. I can, I can take someone's face and I can make them say whatever I want them to. I mean, what is true? What is true? 
Speaking of truth, Augustine is quoted as saying, truth is like a lion. You don't need to protect a lion. You just let it out of its cage, and it will protect itself. Yes. That's why I love my job. I love the fact that I have the best job in the world. I have the opportunity to share truth. This is God's truth that if you confess with your mouth and you believe with your heart, you are justified, made righteous, and you are saved. That's how you make right or wrong. But notice, Paul doesn't stop there. None of us should stop there. There's something so unnatural about the Christ follower who stops right there. Hebrews and other places throughout the New Testament calls this some, some sort of milky, just, just very relaxed, very elementary teaching, just getting to the gospel and stopping there. Paul continues, here's our third point, not just confess with your mouth and believe with your heart, but continuing in verses 11, 12, and 13, unite with the church. This is where I get really excited because the gospel and the church is good news for human dignity. Amen? We are in a world searching for how to make right wrong. Sorry, how to, how, to, how to make right wrong. Yeah, I said that right. Even I get a little bit confused as I'm talking about it, studying it. The church is good news for this. The church is good news for human beings. Notice what Paul says in verse 11. For the scripture says, everyone, underline everyone, who believes in him will not put, be put to shame. For there is no distinction, underline those words, between Jew and Greek, underline those words. For the same, underline that word, Lord, is the Lord of all, triple, quadruple, five times, 20 times underline that one, bestowing his riches on all, again underline, who call on him for everyone, underline it again, who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. The church is good news. The extent of salvation is without distinction. Everyone is welcome regardless of race, gender, social status, sinful background, or national heritage. There is no distinction between Jew or Greek, Democrat or Republican or Libertarian, mask wearer or non, vaccinated or anti-vax. The church is united. We are all under the same Lord. There is no, uh, 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 the Christmas story, you know, little decoder pin required to figure things out. If you have a heartbeat, there's still time. Although the truths of God's sovereignty, as we see in chapters 9, 10, 11 of Romans, and human responsibility here seem mutually exclusive to our finite minds, God's infinite mind is perfectly consistent with his promise that whoever believes won't be disappointed. Verse 11, Paul says, whoever believes, verse 13, everyone who, call, uh, who calls, these are direct quotes from the Old Testament, from Isaiah and from Joel. The Old Testament pointing to faith in Jesus. The barrier, therefore, is not racial, it's not national, it's not cultural, it's personal. Do you personally, for yourself, choose Jesus Christ? Yet there's a rejection, Romans 125, they exchange the truth about God for a lie. See, nothing could have been more offensive to the Jews than this right here. They sought a national savior, not a collective one. It's reminiscent of Jonah. Remember, Jonah is called to go to offer this forgiveness. Forgiveness, it's for our people, Lord. It's for the Jews. So he gives this pitiful sermon. 
He stands there, walks a few days into the town, and then he gives this pitiful sermon. He says, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. But it was probably so much more pitiful than that. It was probably like, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Are you happy, Lord? Are you happy? And then he just walks away. Large-scale revival, like we'll see one day in Romans 11, of this massive remnant of Israel. Huge revival. And, and Jonah's mad. Lord, I knew you would do that. That's your character. I knew it. That's why I didn't go. This, these, this is, this is, these are, this is the truth. That this is very hard for the Jews to understand. Some sort of collective. Anyone who would call doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter your background. You will be saved. I love this idea of the name of the Lord. This is God's covenant name. This is focusing on 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 Yahweh, His promise maker and promise keeping status. He is the true God. What he says goes. You can believe it and take it to the bank. You can cash the check. It will not bounce. This is a picture of the church. We all collectively have bought into this and we are putting all our eggs in this basket. This is good news and we are in it together. Are we in it together? Is this church in it together? You can, only you can answer that for yourself. You know, I heard something this week that, that if all spiders banded together, they would off the human race in one year. Did you know that? I heard, I don't, I don't know if it's true, but I heard that. I don't know how they would do it. It doesn't make a ton of sense. It's very terrifying. So don't think about it too much, but you can feel free to Google it. You probably already have. But that, that's, that's, that's the little factoid that I heard. What would happen if for one year this church was like, forget all of the stuff that doesn't matter, we're banding together? What would happen? Like, I don't even know if it's physically possible, but I think at some level, Incline Village would literally go upside down. People would lose their minds. People would surrender their life to the Lordship of Jesus and say, whatever that church is doing, I want some of that. The truth, like a lion, all you got to do is just bloop, let it out, and it'll just... I'm speechless at this point. <laughs> you understand. You confess with your mouth, this is how you right a wrong. You believe with your heart, you unite with the church, you, you, you finally, in this, this last so picturesque, full picture view of what the gospel does, you mobilize with compassion. Verse 14, now he, he directs back to Israel. He says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him who they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed, they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words uh, to the ends of the world. But I ask, did, not, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is as bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long I have held up my hands to a disobedient and a contrary people. Now there is a lot in this segment. 
but we're going to take one kind of line of thought through this segment and, and, and just start to pull out some pieces, specifically speaking to this idea of mobilizing with compassion. I love this as an idea in this passage because it comes full circle. Remember last week, Paul was, Paul was talking about uh, having safety without salvation and zeal without knowledge, righteousness without submission, and speaking without listening. This week we're talking about having, uh, righting all those wrongs, having a confession of your mouth, belief with your heart, uniting with the church, and mobilizing with compassion. It comes full circle back around to this idea where Paul started. Brothers, my heart's desire, my plea to God, my prayer is that they would be saved. It comes full circle. I have found something. God has put his calling on me. I don't understand it, but I accept it. And all I want to do is help those people around me who they are just scratching their heads. They are so lost. It could actually make you cry. It's, it's, it's just brutal to watch. And I'm sure you're something like me where you start to think of maybe a neighbor or a sibling, or a spouse, or a kid. Verse 18, verse 19, Paul says, have they not understood? He's basically saying the guilty verdict is in. Psalm 19 uh, uh, speaks about the book of nature and the book of revelation. The heavens declare God's glory. The law of the Lord is perfect. With simple progressive logic, Paul just moves down. Verse, verse 15 talks about the feet that bring good tidings. That's a quote from Isaiah 52, uh, uh, speaking of the celebration Israel held after years of captivity. He says they did not obey. They did not heed. They didn't listen attentively to, uh, to, to anything and then ultimately, ultimately, ultimately submit. God, even in his omnipotent sovereignty, somehow chooses not to exercise absolute control over human affairs. He isn't lopsided, so we shouldn't be as a place all the blame on God or all the blame on man. Romans 1, verses 4 through 6 says, Through Christ we've received grace to bring about the obedience of faith among the Gentiles, whom are also called by Jesus Christ. God's unmerited grace demands a positive response. The obedient to faith are those who have been called. Jesus will not and cannot be the Savior of those who will not receive him. So therefore, hearing is the end goal somehow. Hearing, not intuition. Hearing the word of God, not some sort of mystical experience. Hearing the word of Christ, not meditation. Hearing the word of Christ, not speculation. Hearing the word of Christ, not voting by consensus. Hearing the word of Christ, not by osmosis. You've probably heard it said, God only has children, not grandchildren. You're not saved by your parents' faith. You have to make a personal decision to follow Jesus Christ. And it comes through hearing the word of Christ. So you're probably like me. You, you take that down a little bit further and you say, man, is hearing the word of Christ, is the pulpit in this church valued to the extent that this passage talks about it? And I can't answer that for you. I can answer that for my church, the place where, where I'm responsible before God, I'm accountable for this place, but I can't answer it for this church. You have to. Is the pulpit so protected because hearing the word of Christ is the only way, this is God's chosen model 
to evangelize this place is it so protected that Pastor Tony is brought to tears every week by the number of hours he has to study and process and preach and disciple people with the Word of God. That's the way it should be. If you were God, you might do things different, me too. But the simple hearing of the word preached is so powerful that it must be at all costs protected. Hearing the word is important. Paul continues as we get very close to the end of this passage. He says, I'll make you jealous. This is a judgment and both a jealousy, which is a pursuit of the nation. He says, with a foolish nation, I'll make you jealous. It's kind of funny because that's us. That's us Gentiles. Uh, we're, we're, we're the foolish ones. This is kind of an insult, isn't it? But this is the kind of insult where like somebody comes up to me and they see me and it's my wife. And they say, wow, she's too pretty for you. And I might say, I'm struggling to see how that's a bad thing. I guess I win. <laughs> I'm a foolish nation. Fine. Matthew 23, Jesus laments, O Jerusalem, who kills the prophets. You stone those who are sent to her. How often I wanted just to show up and gather you the way that a hen gathers her chicks under its wings, but you were unwilling. As Paul finishes in verse 21, all day long I've held out my hands to some disobedient and contrary people. He's speaking of these things called chickens. Do you have chickens? You guys have chickens up here? We got chickens over, over 2020 during COVID because there was an egg shortage and I kind of freaked out. So we got chickens. If you've never witnessed this, some of you have. Chickens are so disobedient. They're so loud and they're so dirty and they're so dumb. And we would let them out in the backyard and they go around and, and the hawks know they're there and they know what they want to do with these chickens. And they, so they swoop down and then the chickens, they bark for hours afterwards. Like they're, like they're being mauled by a bear, but they're not. They're just like, I'm scared. So, ah, 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 ah. And if you let them out, you try to get them back in the, in the kennel. Our three-year-old was our chicken whisperer. She would just grab them by the neck and walk them over and open the thing and chuck them in. I didn't want to get scratched. So I just left them alone. They're so hard to gather. And this is the picture Jesus paints. This is the picture Paul paints. One commentator put it this way, it should be the desire of every Christian to manifest the spiritual realities of a transformed life, so much so that, that it would draw the unbelieving Jews to belief in our Lord and their Messiah. It is a witness that would tap on the divinely inspired jealousy that God has put inside of them. Unfortunately, the Christianity Jews see in many professed Christians, reflects little love and righteousness of Christ. When they see Gentile Christians who are dishonest or immoral, and especially those who are anti-Semitic in the name of Christ, who was the supremely perfect Jew, they are deeply and they are understandably offended and repulsed. I've got a Jewish friend, he's a believer now, his name is Jeff, and I, I, I talked to him knowing that this passage was coming, and I just said, Jeff, you've got to tell me what I don't know. 
I asked him two questions. The first one I asked him was, what is it that drew you to Christianity away from Judaism? Jeff was the first person in our church to ever come to faith in Jesus. Uh, he was bar mitzvahed. He went to a Hebrew school. He was, he was in synagogue every Saturday. He was the first person to be baptized in our church. He was, he was pretty clear uh, that Judaism is all about customs and it's very void of explanations as to why these customs exist. I might say after studying Romans 10 for a while, you know, Romans 10 really does take a lot of passages from the Old Testament and link them to Jesus as the Messiah. But as I talked to Jeff, I understood, as I asked the question, what does forgiveness for the Jew look like? It was so bleak, and he looked at me with such a serious face. For his face, he's not very serious. He said, there is no, I quoted him, there is no forgiveness, just the constant burden of guilt. It's not built into their system, because they're still waiting. So I said, Jeff, how, how do I, as a believer, evangelize lost Jewish friends? He said, it's pretty simple. Ask questions that revolve around where they're going and why when they die. He said, ask specifically about their hope and why they think they have hope. He said, you need to discover if they're Orthodox Jew, if they're conservative Jew, or they're Reformed in their Jewish affiliation. But he said, most Jews cannot reconcile Jesus to the New Testament, so biblical knowledge is very limited in the New Testament. This is where, he said this, and this just, I thought this was so eye-opening. He said, because you have to know that even having a basic understanding of being in the church, of these things about Jesus and how they reconcile in the New Testament, he says, this is so valuable because they have none. You, as the typical church-going person that sits under the teaching of the Word of God every week, you have a huge amount of understanding of how Jesus reconciles to Judaism way more than you realize. Some of your very simple truths that you've come to understand about Jesus, they have zero understanding of. So at the end of the day, I realized the Christian, the typical Christian, is way more useful than they realize in evangelizing Jews, the chosen nation of Israel. I thought to myself as I was studying this back at home, sitting there at a Starbucks, I, I look up and I see a, a nice gentleman talking to two, two, two nice ladies. He was wearing a little black and white badge. Uh, he's from the LDS church and he was evangelizing these two ladies clearly evangelizing them toward his understanding of truth, which I would say is a false gospel, and it is uh, the antithesis of what we believe about Jesus and how to be saved. And I thought to myself, man, oh man, if we don't evangelize, somebody else will evangelize. If we don't profess the truth, somebody else is going to profess a lie. We need to be more serious about taking this thing full circle the same way that Paul does. I, 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 I've, I've righted the wrongs. I've, I've, I've confessed with my mouth. I've believed with my heart. I'm a part of this thing, the church. Does it stop short up there? Does it move to action? Does it move to, to empathy and understanding and compassion? And man, Lord, I am, I am on my face praying for this person in my house, back in Southern California, I have a really nice big workbench. It's daddy's workbench. My kids know it. So my kids break anything. And that broken, whatever it is, toy, lands on that bench. They know that in most cases, daddy can fix it. There's limits to that. Like when my son takes a D-cell battery and smashes it with a hammer in the garage with no eye protection. It was really terrifying and really scary and 
Hopefully he's learned his lesson. So he puts a open D-cell battery on my uh, workbench. I can't really fix that, but most things daddy can fix. We, 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 we come here. This is a communion Sunday. We are burdened with feelings about what compassion could look like for, for people that we know and love who are very lost. And this now very quickly becomes a time where you take it, you take him, you take her, you take it, maybe it's, maybe it's you, you take you, you take your marriage, you take your precious sweet kids, you do anything for your kids, but you can't be saved for your kids. You take it to daddy's workbench. You take it to the Lord. Hear this communion Sunday as we study Israel. We are faced with the realities of what's happening in Israel, and Israel is under attack. This is yet, I believe, another sovereign appointment of God tapping on the shoulder, getting their attention. We got to pray for Israel. God, keep them safe. Lord, would you draw them to yourself? And maybe, just maybe, would we be able to see in our lifetime the fulfillment of Romans 11, this massive, large-scale revival, the remnant of Israel? That's what we pray for. This Communion Sunday, as we take a a bit of a turn, uh, I'm going to ask in a moment when I pray uh, for the ushers to come forward, but what we are doing in this time, we take these two elements uh, given to us, Paul said in in 1 Corinthians as he uh, addressed the very disobedient, very dysfunctional church, he said, speaking of the importance of of communion, that the Lord Jesus on the night that he was betrayed took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it saying, this is the body which is for you. This is my body. This is a picture and a symbol. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup saying this is the cup of the new covenant. This is the new covenant that we've been talking about for two weeks. The beautiful, precious, all my eggs are in that basket. New covenant of Jesus. Do this in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. This time we enter into of taking the bread is a time of proclaiming that God had to send his son Jesus to us because we couldn't get to him. Divinity took on humanity. Jesus dwelt among us with one purpose, and that is to save us. And then we take the juice, representing, proclaiming the shed blood of God that had to be given, the cleansing agent for our sin if we've placed our faith in Jesus. So let me ask you before we partake to reflect on your life do you have any sin to confess? Do you have any unforgiveness or hostility toward others or to God? Do you have any anxiety in your life or sadness or maybe even a loss of a family member recently to leave on daddy's workbench? I love what the preacher says in Ecclesiastes 5, 1 through 2, speaking about going to church. He says, the preacher says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the talkative sacrifice of fools. We talk too much in church. Be not rash with your mouth. Don't be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. So let your words be few. 
Martin Luther is quoted as saying, the fewer the words, the better the prayer. If you are in Christ, then this is the time for you to draw near and to listen to what maybe God is telling you. After I pray, you'll have a moment to come forward, take the elements, and then go back to your seat when you're ready in your time over the course of the next two songs. You can take the elements as worship to God, just remembering, Lord, this gospel we've been thinking about, talking about, I'm again confessing, saying the same thing as you, that I am on this plan. This is where I want to be. And praying and pleading for those around you who desperately need to know this truth. If you're not in Christ, then this time has no meaning for you yet. Would you consider placing your faith in Jesus? Placing your faith under the plan of God who sent his son to take on flesh and shed his blood on the cross to defeat sin and death for those who would believe in him. It's been an honor to talk about the good news of the gospel this week and last week. There's nothing better we could talk about. So are you talking about it? Let's talk more about it. Let's live more in it. I love the, uh, the reflection of the reformer that said, Lord, stamp the gospel on my eyeballs so that everything I see is through the worldview of your gospel, your cross, your son, Jesus Christ. Amen? Lord, that's what we want to be about, but we admit we get it wrong. Lord, we want to admit in this time, and I want to be the first to admit it, I want to beat everybody else here to the punch, Lord, that I can very easily get so focused on what's right here and right now. Lord, forgive me for that. Lord, forgive me for times where my understanding of the gospel stops very short of mobilizing with compassion. Lord, we want to pray for those around us who, who are good people, but they are so very lost. Lord, would you save them? God, we want to pray right now for the nation of Israel, for this confrontation that's happening. Lord, would you protect them? And Lord, would you allow somehow in our lifetime to be able to see Romans 11 actually play out before us? Help us, Lord. Help our brothers and sisters to that remnant to begin to show itself, Lord, may the large-scale revival come. God, I pray for anybody in this room or anybody within the reach of my voice that if they have not placed their faith in you, if they have not confessed with their mouth and believed in their heart that Jesus is their Lord, then God, I pray that they would do so not, not, not this week, not today, but now. Lord, surrendering to you is so difficult because of our pride. So would you break down our pride? Would you give us the blessing of humility and understanding to know that I am not put together enough to be saved? I need to be saved by the perfect one, Jesus Christ. We come to you in this time, Lord, remembering communion reflecting on our own selves, our sin, and this perfect one, Jesus, that we follow. May we live more like him every day. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. When you're ready, you can come forward and then go back to your seat.
stand with us as we continue singing. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever save. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you.
Donuts in the